0: Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for allowing us to sing Your praises, for giving us opportunity to be Your people, for for reconciling us to Yourself through Christ. And I pray this morning, Lord, that as we Study the Scriptures together as we consider Christ together. I pray, Lord, that You would bless this time, that You would bless this message and bless this reading of Your Word, that our hearts would be comforted and strengthened by it, that Christ would be more sweet to us through it, and that in all of it, that our hope would rest solely in Him. Thank You, Lord, for this people that You have called to Yourself, that You have blessed me with the opportunity to pastor. And I pray, Father, that You would use all of us here in our community to share the Gospel. And I pray that You would use this to further that end. We pray this in Christ's name for His glory. Amen. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at verses 12 through 19 today, the, the second to last of our messages in 1 Peter. And so um, today, the title of today's message is Suffering in Hope, Suffering in Hope. One of the interesting things about social media is that it gives those around us a window into our thoughts and reactions to things. Now, obviously this is not always accurate. People like to put their best foot forward on social media to appear a certain way, but that's not always the case. And if you pay enough attention, you see what really matters to people, what really impacts their hearts, and how it impacts their hearts. And one of the things that I have seen more and more of is a deep hopelessness and fear in people. And this is particularly true among Christians. People that previously I would have thought are rock solid in their commitment and devotion to Christ suddenly are very fearful and hopeless and and concerned about what the future holds and how that's going to impact them and impact their children. There's this pervading sense of how am I ever going to get through this. And this seems to grow almost exponentially in response to political outcomes, whether we're talking about elections or judicial decisions. In fact, the leader of a well-known Christian organization wrote an article that I saw this past week that included this phrase. What is the path forward for those of us who feel we have suffered a terrible loss of everything we hold dear. He was writing that in response to the outcome of the presidential election. Now this feeling that this man expressed, first of all, is wrong. If we are in Christ, then what we hold dear can never be taken from us. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Secondly, this response, this hopelessness, is typically rooted in a recognition of the suffering that is likely coming for Christians. But the question we have to ask is this, should we really fear suffering? Is suffering really something that as Christians we should be afraid of? The Scriptures tell us that we shouldn't. That we should not fear suffering. Instead, our passage today tells us that we should rejoice in our sufferings because of the glory that those sufferings give to Christ. And so, let's look today at 1 Peter uh, chapter four, verses twelve through nineteen. And the first thing we're going to see in the first two verses or the first three verses, excuse me, is the blessing of suffering. The blessing of suffering. Let's read together 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So the first thing we see in this little section is that Peter opens it with Beloved. This is an indicator of a new section, but it's also a reminder of how he feels about these people, and it's an indicator of who he is talking to. He is speaking specifically to believers here, and he is saying, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. One of the things that has been more and more apparent to me over the course of my walk with Christ is how often Christians are caught off guard by suffering. Some sort of trial, some sort of suffering comes, and they're completely taken aback. They had no idea to expect this. There seems to be this belief that those of us who are in Christ are somehow exempt from suffering. That God is going to keep us from suffering. But this is not an idea that we find in Scripture. In fact, Scripture tells us the exact opposite. Peter says here, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Not if. When. Trials and suffering will come. Christians, believers, brothers and sisters, we must Align our hearts with this truth. Because if you run around believing that you will never suffer because God is going to protect you from it, you are going to suffer even more greatly. And the purpose of suffering is going to be much more difficult to fulfill in your heart and in your life. He also says, Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So not only is Peter saying you should expect this when, not if, he's also saying this is not strange. This is a normal reality of living in a fallen world. Peter has been writing this entire letter with this idea that we are exiles in a foreign land. That this world is not our home. And so part of living in this world, this fallen world, is that it is normal for suffering to come. And this is true of multiple kinds of suffering. This is true of the suffering of sorrow, when someone who we greatly love is sick or is suddenly killed and we lose them forever. But it's also talking about suffering like persecution. All types of suffering are in view here. And Peter is saying, "Don't be surprised by it." He's saying that this is what is going to happen to you. It's not strange, it's normal." He also calls it a fiery trial. This is not just any kind of suffering. This is not just regular run-of-the-mill stuff. He calls it fiery. He gives it this indicator that this is an especially significant or hard type of suffering. So again, that's what we should expect. We should not expect light and easy suffering. We should expect hard suffering. But we know that these afflictions are light and momentary as we see in Romans chapter 8. So so here's here's kind of the reality that Peter is driving at here. He's saying that this is the this is incredibly important for you as believers. This is more important than financial security. This is more important than your political party winning elections. This is more important than personal protection. The most most important thing that Peter is saying here in view of this is that Christians should be prepared to face intense suffering as a follower of Christ. Parents, you should prepare your children to face suffering. Spouses, you should help each other prepare to face suffering. Believers, believers, You should read the Word of God in light of preparing your heart to endure intense suffering. Why? Why is our suffering so intense? Why do we need to be prepared for that? Our suffering is uniquely intense because as Christians we fully understand that this is not the way that it's supposed to be we understand that this was not how God created the world. That God did not intend for our lives to be filled with suffering. And yet, here we are because of sin. And so as Christians, we fully understand and recognize the way that things are supposed to be. And that makes it worse. That makes it harder. It makes it so much harder to walk through those seasons knowing that this is not what God intended for us. So why does it happen? Peter says that it comes upon you to test you. To test you. God uses trials for a couple of specific things in our lives. And the first here is to test us. Specifically to test our trust in God. So the question in view there is, where do you put your hope? Believers, Christians, brothers and sisters, where is your hope? hope is it in your bank account your job security your family stability is it in yourself or is it in Christ this is the same concept that we see in Genesis chapter 22 when God told Abraham to go and to sacrifice Isaac now this is the child of the promise God told Abraham I'm going to make you the father of many nations your wife is going to conceive and have a child And she did. And they had Isaac. And then one day God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son, your son I gave you, and take him up on this mountain and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham says, Okay. And they start to go. Now, I put myself in Abraham's shoes and I think about all the things that must have been running through his head. This is the child of promise, this is the one that God told me that we were going to have. How is God going to keep His promise if I sacrifice my son? And yet they go and they get to the top of the mountain and they prepare the altar. And, I, and Abraham lays him down on the altar. He lays Isaac down and he raises the knife. And just as he is ready to kill Isaac, God stops him. He intervenes. And he says this, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God did this to test whether or not Abraham really feared him. Now, God already knew the answer to that question. God knew what Abraham was going to do. So who was the test really for? It wasn't for God. It was for Abraham. It was for Abraham to see in a real-world application whether or not he was truly placing his faith in God, whether or not he was truly trusting God. When it says fear God, that's the kind of thing that it's talking about. It's talking about reverence and devotion, trusting God to keep His Word. And so, brothers and sisters, the question for us is, do you fear God? When you are faced with suffering, do you fear God? Because those who fear God when faced with suffering, they embrace it with joy. Those who don't fear God when they face suffering, they walk through it with grumbling and complaining. This is what sufferings are supposed to prove in our hearts. Whether or not we fear God. And so my prayer for myself and for all of us is that our sufferings would reveal faith in God. And I pray that we would all have the faith to fear God. I pray that when suffering comes, when persecution comes, that we fear God. That we don't place our faith and our trust in ourselves. The second thing that God uses these sufferings for is to allow us to share in Christ's sufferings. It's the same kind of thing we see in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, where Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church. That verse can be hard to understand. But here's kind of the the idea behind what Paul is saying. There is nothing lacking in Christ. Alright? There's nothing lacking in Christ in that sense. But here's what is lacking. All of us alive today were not alive to see Jesus suffer for our sin. We were not able to lay eyes upon Him as He was beaten, as He was hung on the cross, and as He died. We did not see with our own eyes that suffering. But do you know what we do see? We see each other's suffering. We see each other's dealing with these things and walking through it with faith in God. And so when we suffer rightly, we are sharing in Christ's sufferings in the sense that I get to show you how to rightly suffer like Jesus suffered. You get to show other believers how to rightly suffer like Jesus suffered. That's a task that we are entrusted with as his body. That's a part of why we fellowship together. When you think about biblical fellowship, don't just think about potlucks. Although obviously I enjoy a good potluck. But don't just think about potlucks. Don't just think about happy sitting around and laughing and sharing. Part of fellowship of believers is walking through suffering together. It's suffering in a way that other people see Christ in us. So when you suffer Suffer publicly, not for the sake of sympathy, not for the sake of drama, but for the sake of filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of the body. Suffer in that way. Suffer rightly that other people might see Christ in you. And in that suffering, we are also drawing ourselves closer to Christ. Because the pervasive nature of suffering in our world just further illustrates for us how much we need Jesus just to make it through. Listen, this world is so dark and filled with despair and there is so much suffering and sorrow and death. I need Jesus every moment just so that I don't fall into the pit of despair myself. It's so easy to get lost in hopelessness and just say, what is even the point? How am I ever going to get through this? But when we suffer in this way, it draws us closer to Jesus Christ and it helps us to remain in Him in that sense. Because we are suffering with Him and recognizing just how much we need Him in order to rightly walk through this life. And so Peter says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So when we suffer with Christ in this way, it makes our joy at His second coming all the more vibrant and sweet. We are united to Christ in our suffering, but when He comes... When He comes, we will be perfectly united to Him forever. With no suffering, with no sin, with no sorrow. Because we're with Him forever. Do you see that? Do you see what Peter is driving at here? He's saying, listen, if you set your heart to rejoice in suffering now, your joy when Jesus comes again is going to be so much greater. Your enjoyment of Him is going to be so much sweeter. Because you are going to see that the same Jesus who has sustained you through all the sufferings of this life is now with you completely, forever, with no restrictions. There's nothing standing in the way. There are no hindrances. We are with Him perfectly for all eternity. And every instance of suffering... Should remind us that we are one step closer to that glorious return. Every time we suffer, it should remind us that we're that much closer to Jesus coming back. He's coming soon. And every day, He's coming a little bit sooner, and a little bit sooner, and a little bit sooner. And so every time we suffer, rather than saying, Why me, God? we should be saying, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so Peter says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. When we consider persecution, when we think about being persecuted, it should cause us to rejoice because we're blessed. How are we blessed? How is persecution a blessing? Well, look at what Peter says here. If you are persecuted, it identifies you as being in Christ. Real persecution is not targeted at fake Christians. Because real persecution means they're going to come in and they're going to say, do you deny Christ? Because if you deny Christ, we won't chop off your head. Fake Christians aren't going to say, I don't deny Christ. And so, we are blessed when we are insulted, when we are persecuted for the name of Christ. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It is evidence for us that we are in Christ. It's just another way of knowing. It's another way of knowing. That's why the Bible talks about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's just another way of knowing that we are truly in Christ. It identifies us for sure as His people. Verses 15-19, through 19, our, our next thing that we see in the text is that we should suffer for Christ, not for sin. Verse 15-19 through 19 says this, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. So Peter, in verse 14, says that if you are insulted, if you suffer, if you are persecuted... For the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, you're blessed. But then he says, don't suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. We need to be sure that what we are suffering for is truly Jesus Christ, and not for sin. It is very easy for our own personality, our own desires our own flaws to be the reason that we are mistreated, and then for us to turn around and say, well, I'm being persecuted as a Christian. My old youth pastor used to say, if you suffer, make sure you're suffering for Jesus and not because you're a jerk. That's the reality at play here. Peter is saying, not all suffering is because you are in Christ. If you are running around doing evil things... That's the reason you're suffering. And so make sure that you are suffering not as evildoers, but, as su- but you're suffering as a Christian. And if you're suffering as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God in that name. So think back to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, I believe it's in chapter 5. The disciples are, are out and they're preaching, and they get arrested. And they get brought before the leaders of the, of the community, and the community members, leaders say, you have to stop preaching. You have to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, or we're going to arrest you. We're going to keep you in prison. And the disciples say, w- w- no, we-, we must obey God rather than men when we are suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, when we are being persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ, we should not be ashamed of Him. We should not abandon our devotion to Him for the sake of having an easier time. So some ways that this might practically play out in our lives today, it might be easier at work. To just keep your Christianity a secret. To keep your faith in Christ quiet. To go along with what's happening around you and keep it to yourself. Because after all, our faith is a private thing, right? It's just between us and the Lord. So we should just keep it to ourselves. That's what Peter is talking about here. He is saying, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Don't shrink back from your testimony of faith in Christ for the sake of alleviating or eliminating your suffering. Don't do that. Because, verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So again, as I said earlier, we are not exempt from suffering. We are purposefully suffering because God is bringing judgment against his people now we need to be really careful how we understand this because judgment for Christians means something different than it does for non-Christians so think of it like this a refiner of metals a silversmith or something like that they use a very hot fire to refine metal And what happens is they put this metal in the hottest part of the fire and it melts. And all of the impurities float to the surface. And then they skim the impurities off and then they pull it out and let it cool. And then they do it again. And they do it again. And they do it again to refine it. To make it even more pure. For Christians... Our suffering, this judgment of God, is the same concept. It is refining out of us these impurities, these wrong attitudes, these wrong perspectives, these wrong responses, these sinful things that are in us. The Holy Spirit is rooting them out by way of this suffering. But it's not to kill us. It's not to crush us. It's not to destroy us. It is to refine us and make us more like Jesus Christ at the end of it. And so we see here just this scarcity of salvation because here's the truth. There are those who claim to be in Christ who claim to be a part of the household of God, who claim to be a part of the body, and they're not. And I'm not referencing anyone here at Evans Creek. I'm just speaking in a general sense of the church here on earth. And so this fire for them is not a refining fire. It will destroy them. If you put fake silver into the refiner's fire, you know what's going to happen? It's going to be destroyed. You're not going to be able to purify it because it's not real. And so the same fire that refines believers burns up sinners. Do you know why it doesn't burn up believers? Because of Jesus Christ. Because He has taken what is false about us and made us into what is true in our fellowship with God. And so, what does Peter say here? If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Listen, brothers and sisters, do you know what suffering should make us do? It should make us share the gospel. Because as we are being refined by fire, it should remind us that those around us who don't know Christ are going to be burned up by this. That they are going to face the burning wrath of God for all eternity. And so when we suffer, it should make us think about how our salvation is so scarce because it was purchased by Jesus Christ. It was not something we could have done on our own. And think about how much worse the eternal suffering is going to be for those who are not in Christ. Instead of our suffering causing us to sit back and say, woe is me, our suffering should cause us to think about our neighbors who do not know Jesus Christ. And recognize that this is just a glimpse of the suffering that is to come for them. And so in verse 19, as Peter closes this chapter, he says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So here's what he means. Here's what he means as, as he wraps this up. When we suffer, when we suffer, we should ask ourselves, examine our hearts, and say, am I suffering for Christ? Am I suffering in Christ? Or am I suffering for my own sin? Which of those is it? And if we, in our study of the Word, and by the assurance of salvation from the Holy Spirit, come to the conclusion that we are suffering in Christ, even though our suffering might be for our own sin, if we are still suffering in Christ, then here's what we should do. We should trust our souls to God because He is the one who holds it, and then do good. That's what we should do. We should still go on living righteously. We should not fall into hopelessness. We should not despair. We should say, I am suffering. I trust God. Let me get on with living for the sake of Christ. Job 13.15 says this, Though He slay me, I will hope in Him. Though He slay me, I will hope in Him. In other words, Job is saying, God is the one who is bringing this suffering upon me. But I will hope in Him because I trust Him. Because I have no other hope. I have nowhere else to go. That is how we should respond as believers to suffering. And to the threat of suffering, to the threat of persecution, to the fear of these things, we should say, I trust my soul to God, and I'm going to go on doing good. Because here's the truth of the matter what is the worst they can do to you? Kill you. And you know what happens if they kill you? You're with Jesus. That's not a punishment. To live as Christ and to die is gain. If persecutors come and chop off my head, they're doing me a favor. They're sending me to be with Christ. And so we should not be afraid. We should trust our souls to God. And so, in conclusion, Christians should embrace suffering with joy for the sake of being united with Jesus Christ. We should embrace suffering with joy. Because it means that we are united more with Jesus Christ. We should also not be hopeless in the face of suffering as though suffering is strange or uncommon or unfair. We should not fall into despair and hopelessness. And let me say as, a, as, as an add-on to that, beware of practical hopelessness. Beware of practical hopelessness You might say to me, I'm not hopeless. I trust God. But the way that you live your life indicates a level of practical hopelessness. That you are placing your hope and your faith and your trust in something other than Jesus Christ. Now, I might see things in you or in myself that trend in that direction that might be cause for concern, but only God knows your heart. And so I can't speak to necessarily practical, or impractical, or practical hopelessness. Excuse me, I got all tongue-tied there. I can't necessarily indicate for you when you have practical hopelessness. But you should be on guard in your own heart against it. If your natural inclination when your poli- preferred political candidate loses is to go out and weep and buy more ammo rather than to read your Bible and pray and trust in the Lord you might be suffering from practical hopelessness. That's just one example. Now don't hear me saying buying ammo is always bad. Not saying that. What I am saying is, examine your heart and your motivations when things happen. And ask yourself, am I trusting God or am I trusting myself? So beware of practical hopelessness because as the Bible tells us, We walk by faith and not by sight. We should not be examining the things that are going on around us simply by what we see with our own eyes. But we should be considering those things in light of what we know to be true about God Himself. Walk by faith and not by sight. And the last thing that I'll say as we close is this. We should not fear. Christians, we should not fear. We should not fear suffering we should not fear persecution we should not fear sorrow we should not fear death or disease we should not fear why i want to close by reading psalm 46 and then i'll pray and listen to the words of the psalmist here listen to the words of the psalmist and allow them to encourage your heart and help you to not walk in fear God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, to not fear. Help us, Lord, to embrace suffering as something that You bring to unite us with Jesus Christ rather than something that causes us to Fall into hopelessness and despair. Help us, Lord, to rightly view suffering and persecution as something to bring us joy, as something to embrace with joy rather than something to cause us to fall away and doubt. Strengthen our faith, Lord. Help us to truly believe and walk in the belief that You are our fortress, that You are our refuge, that You are a very present help in trouble that we would not fear what man can do to us in their nostrils is breath of what account are they help us lord to stand firm in the face of suffering and persecution that our hearts would delight in jesus christ and that we would with one voice loudly proclaim Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank You, Lord, for this body of believers who will fellowship together, who will suffer together, who will cry out together because Christ is good and He is worthy of it. Thank You, Lord, for this time, for this message, for this Word. And I pray that You will work in the hearts of Your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.